Hi guys, and welcome back to Associated. We are now recording our third episode uh, remotely, and we're actually split between three different countries. Francesca is still in London. I am across the world in Bangkok, and our lovely guest Adele Cohen from Draper's Brie is in Ireland. And so, you know, we're really making use of the great technology that is Zoom, um, which has definitely been very impactful in the past few weeks uh, that we can continue the conversation and still get to connect with each other and, yeah, continue series two. Yeah. Hi, Adele. How are you today? Hey, doing well, guys. Hanging on in there. Well done. How are you finding isolation? Uh, well, as a raging extrovert, this is a very challenging time. The work is fine. It's just the lack of social engagement after work uh, that I'm struggling with a bit, but picking up new ho- hobbies as we go along. Yeah, but you, you were saying that in Ireland, it's not so stringent, so you can go out and meet people. Yeah, 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 you can, but well, you're not supposed to meet more than two or three um, mm. and keep years apart, but... It's fine. I can go out for three walks a day if I so choose. Wow. That's really nice. Three walks yeah. is a really good number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm exhausted. Yeah. Yeah, getting those steps in. <laughs> exactly. Although um, it might not have come to Ireland, but I've, I've read because I've been in the countryside, so I haven't experienced this, but okay. uh, Netflix is apparently putting posters up all around London with spoilers. What? Oh, yeah. that's interesting. Isn't that great? <laughs> and it was like, you have to stay indoors. Otherwise, you'll be seeing spoilers all around London <laughs> of your favourite episodes. So that's stay inside. And I think that's such a clever PR campaign and, and you know, such a positive but, but cheeky way of, of doing your part. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very, very clever. Yeah, very cool. Amazing. Well, shall we crack on and talk about all about you and Drapers? Yeah, sure. Where do you want to start? What do you want to know? Perhaps crack on with what does Drapers do um, in terms of fund, investment, Mm -hmm. stage, sector? Cool. Yeah. So we are a generalist tech investor. Um, Four or five of the main areas we focus on, uh, we do a lot of B2B SaaS and we do a lot in fintech digital health, which is where I spend a lot of time, deep tech and hardware a little bit as well. Consumer tech, but probably less so in recent years. We invest a little bit later than some funds in our group. We invest primarily at series A, B and C stage. So check size from us ranges anywhere from five, six million up to 25 million. And we do kind of have the ability to work with companies for the longer term and continue to invest and support them. Geography-wise, headquartered in London, I'm based in Dublin, um, but we're a pan-European investor. And so we are quite active, I guess, sort of in the UK and Ireland, the Nordics, France, and Spain increasingly. And yeah, basically our reason for being is to try to back European-born tech companies with the ability to become sort of global leaders. Um, And some of the companies we've worked with that I think probably fulfill that category, Revolut is in the portfolio. Trustpilot, um, Clue, Lifesum, and basically our reason for being is to invest in European-born companies that can really become global leaders in their categories. Amazing. And how is your team currently dealing 
with the situation of the virus? Are you still investing or are you more focusing on your current portfolio companies? What is your current strategy? Yeah, so like most VCs, portfolio management is really the top priority at the moment. So what do the companies that are in our portfolio need to be able to get through this and then thrive afterwards? So yeah, my colleagues are very much involved at board level with a number of companies in the portfolio. We've got about 50 companies in the portfolio today. Um, and as you can imagine, that's um, that's taking up quite a lot of time and energy and focusing on what we can do to help, but also what the company can do and facing tough decisions around cash management and costs and people and the well-being of their teams as well. So there's a lot going on there and that's definitely the number one priority. Luckily, because we do have a portfolio approach and we don't just invest in one type of technology, some companies are doing just fine right now. Um, So, you know, it's a good time to be a digital health company, let's say. You know, there's positives and negatives, obviously, but we're just trying to figure out what we can do to help and really kind of digging in and rolling the sleeves up and doing everything we can. Um, Are we still open to investing? Yes. I mean, we are publicly listed ourselves, which means we're a balance sheet investor. Um, So we have autonomy essentially over the investment decisions that we make. However, it's probably a question of bandwidth and priorities and uncertainty right now. I think it's going to be a lot harder for companies to raise in the near term than it would have been, say, three months ago. So we're just kind of taking stuff on a case-by-case basis. And just more as a general sweeping statement, what do you think VCs can do to, to give the most support to their portfolio companies? Is it more capital to give them time over mm. this period? Is it more advice from everyone's experience as well as communicating with all the other portfolio companies? What do you think VCs can do to bring the most value during this this very difficult time for a lot of companies? All of the above, basically, I would say. So, you know, if I think about companies that might have raised a Series A, they're probably earlier stage. They might be first-time founders, maybe they're second-time founders, but there's a high chance that maybe this is their first time going through this crisis stage of a cycle. And that can be really, really tough. So as with all kind of board members, This isn't the first rodeo, you know, there was 2008, there was the dot-com, there was 2001 after September 11. So a lot of the folks on our team would have experienced multiple cycles. And I think it's, yeah, a lot of it is that experience and just helping out. And, you know, it's it's just saying, what do you need? Um, Another piece as well is, yeah, obviously there's a lot of government support out there. So that's great at a headline level. But then I... I think that the challenge for a lot of companies is, okay, I know this is out there, but how on earth do I access it? And so we're trying to work with some of the agencies and, you know, the British Business Bank, et cetera, to try to understand, can maybe we take a portfolio approach to this and help them get those supports to the companies that we're working with? So just trying to be a bit clever and trying to figure out, are there things that we can do to help both sides so the startups but also the folks that are trying to help out at kind of government level yeah I mean that's that's basically the priority makes sense cool um so I mean I'd be curious to understand a little bit more about you know what you did before you you joined Draper because you've had the ops experience and and sitting on a board um of uh 
Park PMP, which I, I think is really cool, and then moving into into Draper. So, w- would you be able to give us like a a rundown of, of what you were doing before you joined? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, probably easiest if I take you back in a time machine to 2011, sort of when I started out my career. So, at that point, I had been living in Boston for a few years. I graduated from university there, and um, and I'd studied international business and was trying to figure out, okay, cool, what do I do with this? And if my accent and my location didn't give it away already, I am obviously Irish. Um, And so I applied to a graduate program within a department of the Irish government. So basically this organization is called Enterprise Ireland. And what they do is support the Irish indigenous startup community. So one way they do that is they make small equity investments. Um, It's similar enough to the UKTI model. So they would make equity investments. And then the other piece is supporting Irish companies as they export into international markets. Um, So obviously we're a very small economy ourselves. And so exporting is really kind of the number one when you start a company here, where can I sell this? Um, So thankfully they hired me and they sent me to Silicon Valley. And then I was like, okay, cool. What's this software stuff (laughs) I'm supposed to know about? Um, so I actually worked with them for five years um, in that time god I don't know how many startups I worked with at least 100 150 200 who knows and so I worked with them basically on everything from trying to figure out product market fit market entry strategy building commercial relationships kind of on their behalf whether that was with potential customers or partners um, and then towards the end of my time there I kind of started focusing on access to capital um, for these companies so kind of noticing that a common theme among Irish startups who might have an excellent product and really good founders they were probably they could be one tenth as well as funded as some of their competitors and that was really hampering their ability to enter into the US market which obviously is super expensive um, and you really need boots on the ground so started working with a bunch of VCs in the Valley and kind of thought, cool, that's that's a cool job. <laughs> Slightly better than the one I'm in right now, I'd say. Um, <laughs> so that kind of got me interested in the whole space and then moved back to Dublin and thankfully started working with a very small seed stage fund here. So focused on investing in um, companies in the sustainability space. So less focused on software more focused on you know we did everything from anaerobic digestion plants through to looking at alternative proteins and then yeah obviously some some clean tech companies as well and so that was kind of my first uh first go at this investing thing and then joined Draper Spree about 18 months ago so that's my windy unusual non-investment banker path into that's, VC. That's awesome. And particularly that you got to spend the time like out in the valley it has this like very mythical aura around it. And then when you go, it's um it's it's quite interesting to see everything close. And it's actually I don't know how you found it, but I thought it was like a very peaceful place. You know, you're like riding your bike around all these <laughs> suburban houses and like, you know, beautiful pine yeah. trees. Um, and everyone's in these very flat structured houses it's a pretty surreal place and and, mm-hmm. and so how big is the Irish entrepreneurial community uh, over there absolutely massive so 
it's funny for a small country, uh, we've got a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of good qualities of indigenous tech companies. So I think EI, they have about 1,500 tech startups in their portfolio. And, you know, this is for a country with a population of four and a half, five million. Um, So definitely, to some extent, I would say it's probably in our DNA to be entrepreneurial and kind of get up and and want to do your own thing. And I think there are lots of cultural similarities with the US as well. And obviously a larger Irish diaspora there than other parts of the world. And so it's it's funny in a way because almost the first non-Irish market that you want to get into and find customers in is the US, even though it's, you know, minimum 3,000 miles away and five-hour time difference. There's just a lot of cultural affinity there and there's lots of people that are kind of willing to help you out and and give you a chance. So yeah, it's a, it's a really great place to be an Irish entrepreneur and just an Irish person, probably in general. Uh, there's just a lot of kind of good goodwill and and good people out there and then in terms of i guess your view of having worked in the valley and then coming back to ireland what do you feel are some of the differences whether it's just the the environment or like the sentiment or the pace of work or Mm -hmm. um, even just mindset like were there some salient takeaways that you had uh, from working in Boston and then in the Valley and then moving back to. Yeah. Well, well, lucky for me, I kind of always kept my Irish link, whether professionally or, you know, sort of in Boston, just my own semi-professional network, a group of friends. Um, so it's actually harder for me to pinpoint the differences because they all kind of blur together for me, if that makes any sense. I think you know, there's, there's probably more in common than there are differences Maybe one thing would be, you know, companies and people that grew up in the States, a lot of the time there is such a can-do attitude that it's like, you know, sky's the limit. Whereas I think sometimes as Irish people, and this is not just Irish entrepreneurs, but sometimes we might limit our ambition to some extent, maybe more, more of a humble group of people in that sense. But I think that we're out there and if you're an entrepreneur and if you've, if you've got technology that there's a real need for in the market, uh, sometimes that mindset needed to be shifted a little bit. And, you know, everybody's capable of it, but it's uh, if you're surrounded by that and the sky's the limit, then that becomes the normal. But that would kind of be the only thing. Sure. And um, sort of back to Drapers, you know, you had a great CV and had experience investing, working with startups. What, what attracted you to apply for Drapers? Because obviously yeah. there's a fair few more VCs out there in London. I'm, I'm not so sure about the VC scene in Dublin, to be honest. Mm-hmm. You're good to hear about that, actually. Yeah, so a few things. Obviously, what a stellar portfolio. Um, <laughs> I think if you're going to look to work with a European based VC that's probably the first thing that you're going to look at um, and so instantly was blown away by the quality of the companies in the in the Draper's Brief portfolio another thing for me was obviously I'd been working seed stage seed pre-seed even and I thought the idea of being able to invest larger amounts at a later stage was very very interesting and this kind of leads into your your comment on the Irish VC scene so Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of growth stage investors, so Series B plus, uh, quite 
quite limited here in Dublin. Um, at seed stage, there are obviously more. Um, and then kind of in the seed to series A+, plus, um, it's a small enough group. So I wanted to live in Dublin, which is obviously fantastic. Um, and I think that Drey Brewsbury sort of offered me the best of both worlds. So you're not just investing in the local market. You, you We truly are a pan-European investor. Um, and so having my experience in the States and then wanting to live in Ireland, Drapers Free was kind of the, the only real option that opened up the European market to me personally. So there's all that good stuff. I think as well, like the reason I love being in VC and the reason I loved being with Enterprise Ireland is that you're working with amazing entrepreneurs the whole time. So super inspiring people, really, really smart. And what I enjoy the most is feeling like you're having an impact on them, on their businesses. And I think bigger picture, working with entrepreneurs and working with people that are really shaping our future. I just can't think of anything more exciting than that. So that's kind of it. And I think Draper's Brewery sort of offered all that, which is uh, awesome because they wanted me as well. <laughs> What were the skills that um, you think made you the most attractive candidate for for Draper's history? Hmm. Good question. Um, (laughs) I have not really ever thought about this before. I don't know. So when when I think about my background versus other people who would be coming into a VC firm at a junior level, um, I, I think I have quite a different background So the fact that I had worked with a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of startups, done the roll your sleeves up and and tried to help wherever possible, I think that skill set and, you know, honestly, that attitude probably lends itself well to working with a portfolio of companies. So whether you're working on the board officially or not, I think the ability to work with entrepreneurs and to find opportunities to be helpful and add value um that's actually probably quite rare I'd say in somebody going in at a junior level to have been able to do that um probably a good cultural fit you know other than that I don't have a very trained background you know I was never an accountant I didn't do finance in college I'm not a management consultant type but I'm I love working with entrepreneurs I'm super passionate about technology and you know that that's obviously really important. So I think those kind of things mixed with the ability to go out there and kind of have an opinion and build market knowledge and, and again, kind of build a case around that. I think they're all kind of really relevant skills. I, I totally agree. And, and I'm so passionate about this. And I'm so glad that Jerry picked someone like you because you can bring so much value. Mm. And I, I think we had a discussion last week actually with Nick Sando from Octopus and he made a really good point of that VC is a team it's not just a single individual and so there's Mm -hmm. no point just having cookie cutter backgrounds Mm -hmm. as part of your team you need to have um, a variation of backgrounds to to essentially make sure that you've got a team that not only can provide capital but also have the skills and expertise and and the one thing in common that's so important is the passion to, to help yeah. these founders reach reach their goal. And so I think that's awesome that they've picked you and they're very lucky to have you. Stop it. <laughs> um, should, we, should we talk a little bit about 
what you look at um, at Draper and you know, sectors that you're passionate about. And uh, what, what I think is always interesting to hear is, do you think there is a, a Draper Esprit founder that you tend to profile for? Yeah, um, I've not thought about it again sort of in that way, but if I think through the portfolio, the answer is maybe yes and maybe no. So what do we look for? I mean, baseline, we're going to look for companies that are growing very fast and as consistently as possible, regardless of what kind of sector you're in or who your target customers are. I think there needs to be clear differentiation and some level of defensibility there, whether that's on the technical front um, or if you're miles ahead in terms of your customers. What is it that's getting people to use your product and continue to use it over the competitors. And then, yeah, I mean, obviously team, it's somewhat cliche at this point, but especially at series A stage, you're, you're kind of, you're backing a plan, but you're ultimately backing the team that you believe will be able to execute on that plan. And so now I think about, okay, do we have a founder type? Actually, I would say no. But again, it's all those things. Are you passionate and obsessive about your product? Are you able to build a very strong team, both at senior level around you um, and also kind of lower down the ranks that are going to be able to, again, you're going to be able to get them engaged and passionate and wanting to get out there and, and sell this product, but also this vision to the world. Um, so yeah, I would say number one, team. Number two, fast growth. Um, and sort of number three, defensibility. And again, it's believing that you can be the category leader in whatever it is that you're doing. And in terms of your process of um, meeting a founder and going through the decision-making process of whether to invest in them or, or not, what does that process look like? So, okay, if you think about a first meeting, so it's trying to understand what does the founder do? What does the company do? What's the product? What stage you're at? So again, if I think about our Northern Star, is the is the company growing and how fast? Again, touching on the technical side, but not going into too much detail. And then really sort of what's the plan? What's the ambition here? Um, and I think if we can get excited about that, then we'll have a conversation internally. There'll be kind of a deal team assigned to a company, at which point... You might do another meeting, a bit of a deeper dive. And then in the background, we'll be diving into the market and trying to understand that in a bit more detail. It's building the conviction that, yes, this can be the winner. Um, and this is the company in this market that we're excited about. Whether or not it truly is exciting. So you can have a really exciting product and a really fantastic team. But if the market opportunity isn't exciting, then it's not going to get much further than kind of that first phone call and um, so it's just kind of triangulating those pieces and then making sure that we're spending the time both with the founder but also kind of in the background and figuring all that stuff out and being able to get confident that yes this is the winner here and what does your IC committee look like so our IC it's actually quite open at the moment um, there are a number of partners and um, but the wider investment team is also involved in that conversation and that assessment and then the IC will make the decision, go or no go. And we, we run with the term sheet or not from there. 
And if it's your deal, are you kind of responsible for creating the, the sort of investment pack yeah. to the IC? Yeah. Or do you get the founders to pitch along with, with the pack? So yeah, a bit of both. We would put together those materials in advance of a company coming in and try to answer any of those questions that had come up in the earlier stages as well. And then, yeah, create that. So, yeah, if I'm on the deal team, I would do that. Normally, I wouldn't be alone. There would be a partner on it um, or an investment director. Um, so, sort of minimum, probably two people working on that together. And then, yes, you put all that together and then the company comes in to pitch. And at that stage, everybody in the room should know whether or not it's going to get the green light. Awesome. And what would you say would be, I mean, you've mentioned a lot of factors that kind of tick all the boxes for you, but when a, a founder turns around and gives you a certain piece of information, you're like, thank you, that is going to make sure that this really excites the the IC. Well, one thing might be, okay, cool. So you've been growing 100% year on year. There's been, you know, something has changed in the last quarter, actually monthly you're growing 200%. So something like that could be a, you know, a kind of a game changer. Um, but there is no real one thing that I could point to, I don't think. Mm. So definitely keep get your numbers in, in shape. Yes, <laughs> absolutely critical. Because, you know, I think when you, you get to later stage, numbers are, are increasingly important. It's certainly something Sarah from Dawn mentioned in our previous episodes is that there yeah. Their, their number one thing is numbers. So yeah. Well, the thing is that you know at seed stage uh, or pre-seed or whatever, there's a lot less data to go on. So you're kind of living and dying by your metrics by the time you get to Series A and Series B. Absolutely, there's no question. It's absolutely critical. And I think for the founder, regardless of what their natural affinity is, uh, they need to be all over the numbers themselves and be able to to talk to them and, and dig through them if needed. I actually wanted to pivot a bit more to what you did when you were at Park PMP and, you know, what does it mean to be an NED? Um, what were your, your activities with, with the company? What were you advising them on? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was an amazing experience. So I was on the board of Park BNP for about a year. That is a company which optimizes uh, underutilized park spaces. So for example, if I have a driveway, but I don't own a car, I can put that driveway up on the Park BNP platform and you can rent that for me either by the hour, the day, the month. So, you know, really clever idea. I think for me, one of the most interesting things was that I had my background had been mostly, if not exclusively, in the B2B space. So looking at a lot of enterprise software um, companies, and this is a consumer play, which terrified me. So massive learnings just in terms of how that works and how different it is and kind of the different strategies that need to be in place um, to be able to actually run a business like that. So I had a very good relationship with the founder, Garrett, and I think that really helped. So this is a super early stage business. And without going into too much detail, it was everything from figuring out who the right hires were and kind of building that team, like I mentioned before, being able to build a, a very strong senior management layer is 
is key to a lot of company success, as well as being able to motivate and get lots, lots of really passionate people at the junior level. So that was a key priority for us. Um, expansion strategy as well was was very much topical. Um, this type of an offering is market agnostic. Everybody in the world parks or drives. And, and you know, globally, there's kind of a, an issue with the optimization of space. That was interesting. So kind of looking at how do you go about your international strategy? Do you... Um, do you go down the acquisition route? Do you find partners? Is there an opportunity to develop a franchise model? So those were the kind of things that we worked quite closely on. And yeah, it was a small board, so quite hands-on. Um, mm-hmm. That experience for me was quite new. So coming from working a little bit with a lot of companies when I was at Enterprise Ireland to really zoning in and having a longer term relationship um, and probably even a, a longer term horizon in terms of what I was trying to achieve working with the companies are kind of key key changes for me um, but loved it really really good experience okay um, and so how do you feel your experience having taken a board seat impacted your your application to Draper was did, did that come into like discussion at all as like an, an edge um I can't really remember if it did in kind of explicit terms I think as you develop your career in VC one of the key skill sets is being able to get involved at board level and and kind of take on that role I'm not exactly there yet within Draper's Free, but I think, yes, I have to imagine that it was useful in some way because until you kind of have that hands-on experience, um, it's hard to truly appreciate uh, the nuances of actually kind of running a company and being a director. Um, so yeah, definitely, I think the learnings for me were massive and will will no doubt help me as I go through my career. Um but yeah, I don't. I wouldn't put it down as being a necessary as such to kind of get into a role. I don't think I've told you about question time. Question time. Um, question time. Um, question time is where we ask people to submit questions. Okay. For for our uh, guests, and then in exchange, if they get picked, um, they get to um, go for coffee with you or have a phone call. Obviously, it's a slightly different situation mm. at the moment, but um, it's more of a virtual, virtual thing now. Yeah. Um, but like the whole idea of this podcast is to get people that wouldn't have the opportunity to meet either they don't have the confidence or you know they don't they just don't know really how to access the people, whether that's from an, uh, trying to find investment or trying to get a job in VC. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a question from Assam. Uh, so thank you very much, Assam, for Thanks, Assam. Um, uh, submitting a question for question time. So his question is, when you invest in Series A startups, the startup is at the cusp of high growth. How are you able to tell that the founder slash founding team are able to take the company to the next level? Yes, that's the you know five million dollar question uh, when we're when we're making an investment. Um, you can't tell definitively because nobody has a crystal ball, and you have to basically get comfortable, believe that whether it's their background, what they've done before, what they've demonstrated in the last you know six twelve months or so, 
that you're kind of going on that progression path that's just it you have to believe in the team there is no concrete way of knowing it does make sense but do you have a question is Draper's Esprit hiring at the moment uh tbc i mean we always want to hear from good people at the moment well obviously the world is upside down right now so uh, i don't know if we're going to be hiring anybody in the next week <laughs> but yeah our investment team uh, our investment team does need building out yeah so always open to good people people that are interested hearing from them and um, I, I feel like it's kind of the recruiting part is sort of ongoing and the hiring part might come in in spurts. Awesome. Well, that that's good to know. And any top tips? I think one of the things I mentioned earlier is I don't probably have a, you know, cookie cutter background. Um, and a lot of the team doesn't, if that makes sense. So we've got quite varied backgrounds on the team. So I would just say to anybody that, thinks maybe they wouldn't fit the bill or they don't have this or they don't have that think about what you do have and what you can bring to the table and you know if you're interested what's the worst that's going to happen you get told no um so yeah definitely put yourself out there and um from someone looking from an investment point of view how do they get in touch uh well they can email me if they want um edel.cohen at draperisbree.com um, that's probably the best way to do it. Or if you know somebody that we know, get in touch that way. Pretty open door policy. If it's not going to be a fit, we'll tell you quite quickly. And if it is, we'll spend a bit more time. Well, thank you so much, Adele. You've been amazing. Awesome. Um, thank you for having me. Not at all. No um, so thanks, guys, for, for tuning in. Thanks, um, Adele, for, for spending your Friday afternoon with us and making the third remote episode work so well. Um, loved learning about your your experience in the Valley and, and now in Dublin. And yeah, I, I hope we'll get through the next couple of weeks well together. And um, for all of our, our lovely listeners, make sure that you are tuning in to not only the podcast, but checking us out on Twitter at Associated Podcasts. And yeah, send us any emails to associatedpodcast at gmail.com with any questions. We always love receiving comments and feedback. But yeah, for now, we'll, we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Thanks, guys. Wash your hands. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs>